Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Hope for Chronic Pain podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Dr. Katinka Vandermeer. Dr. Katinka grew up in Johannesburg, South Africa, as the daughter of a successful chiropractic doctor. She followed in her father's footsteps and graduated from Parker College of Chiropractic in 1999. She has since gained a reputation for developing a novel, non-invasive treatment system for neurologic rehabilitation of chronic pain, resulting in breakthroughs for even the most hopeless and severe cases. Her and her team have gained international attention due to their unprecedented success rates in these cases. Kent State University is slated to be involved with the first study of her work starting this year. She is an international speaker and best-selling author of three books, Putting Out the Fire, Taming the Beast, and Wake Up, Miracles of Healing from Around the World. Dr. Katinka practices in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and is the CEO of the Spiro Clinic. Thank you for joining us. I have treated almost 700 patients to date suffering from severe chronic pain. An interesting phenomenon I've noticed through the years is that many of my patients have suffered from sexual abuse and or PTSD. This has led me to study the link between physical and emotional pain as well as sexual trauma. I want to quote Catherine Woodwiz, trauma permanently changes us. This is the big scary truth about trauma. There is no such thing as getting over it. The five stages of grief model marks universal stages in learning to accept loss, but the reality is in fact much bigger. A major life disruption leaves a new normal in its wake. There is no back to the old me. You are different now. Full stop. This is not a wholly negative thing. Healing from trauma can also mean finding new strength and joy. The goal of healing is not a papering over of changes in an effort to preserve or present things as normal. It is to acknowledge and wear your new life, words, wisdom and all, with courage. A special report published in Psychiatric Times in 2020 found that chronic pain complaints are common in patients with a primary diagnosis of PTSD, with prevalence rates estimated to be as high as 80%. Maybe the most cited model in the psychiatric field is the mutual maintenance model. This model suggests that chronic pain and PTSD maintain and exasperate one another. One potential cause for this phenomenon is something called hyperarousal. This simply means that the nervous system is in a fight-or-flight state, which may elevate both pain and or PTSD. Another study performed in 2008 found an elevated prevalence of chronic pain in women who suffered from sexual trauma. Today, I have two special guests. First, I want to introduce Nancy Kay. Nancy Kay is a licensed professional counselor in Arkansas and Colorado with over 25 years of counseling experience. In 2005, she founded Grace Counseling Service LLC in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and she has now a second location in Estes Park, Colorado. Nancy specializes in treating trauma, anxiety, and depression. She is trained in eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, also known as EMDR, and provides EMDR to clients that would benefit from these techniques to process traumatic events. Nancy is the author of Trauma and Relationships, Exploring the Effects of Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder on Relationships, and the international best-selling book, The Self-Aware Life, Four Pillars to Long-Lasting Fulfillment and Success as You Go Through Life's Transition. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. 
We also have Bria. Bria was a patient of mine who recently left care in full remission from CRPS. She suffered from nearly 21 years, and Bria also has a history of PTSD and past sexual trauma. Welcome, Bria. Thank you for having me. Nancy, how prevalent do you believe sexual trauma is in chronic pain patients? Well, the estimate is that 10% of all populations of women go through some sort of PTSD. Men will experience around 5% of the population will have PTSD. Chronic pain, uh, it's different because there will be pain that sometimes just goes along with a trauma event, but when it develops into a chronic pain, the chances are relatively high, even if it's developing into what the body is doing with the unprocessed trauma experience. Trauma is not just about what happens. It's really what the body does with the trauma. And that's the difference. It can really add to chronic pain. It is truly very individual and unique to each person. Bria, I want you to talk a little bit about your history of trauma and how you believe it played a role in developing chronic pain. I was continually sexually abused for nine years, from the age five to 14. I had a lot of health issues even before CRPS. And then at age 11, that's when CRPS started. From my own perspective over the years, I've always thought that my physical pain was my body's way of silently screaming, I guess I would say. Outwardly, I wasn't sharing my trauma. and. I think when you keep that inside you, it has to show some way. And my body's way of letting me know was through pain. The sexual trauma statistics are shocking. There are more than 42 million survivors of sexual abuse in America. One in three girls are sexually abused before the age of 18, according to the Advocacy Center. And one in five boys are sexually abused before the age of 18. Nancy, is it true that most sexual trauma often occurs at home? From my perspective and what I've read and the research and what I've seen in my 25 years of being a therapist, I would say it's typically, whether it's at home, it is by someone that is known to the survivor. Bria, I want to commend you for being brave and speaking out about this. Uh, Sexual trauma in childhood is often something that we still feel is uh, stigmatized and we don't talk about it. And because no one is talking about it, everyone who has suffered from this feels alone and that this only happened to them. So I think it is so powerful for you to be brave and stand up and say, this happened to me and this is what my recovery looked like. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a very powerful healing tools since I've started speaking up about it. I've seen significant change. Bria, how intricate was that piece of your recovery, talking about the trauma, working with Nancy, uh, working in our clinic? How important is it to address past trauma when also healing physical pain, in your opinion? I think it's the highest priority. I was I was diagnosed with complex PTSD in 2012, and I started trauma therapy kind of right off the bat. And so it's been nine years of trauma therapy, a lot of different beautiful counselors who have walked right alongside me through this pain. And honestly, it's excruciating digging up past trauma, but I think 
it is the very thing that has been slowly setting me free, slowly piecing me back together. And my time with Nancy was, I don't even have words strong enough. And the Spiro Clinic from Dr. Lucas to just being able to address the physical injuries that occurred even outside CRPS from scar tissue to my x-rays. It was just altogether exposing a very dark time in my life and a time that I walked very alone in. Having a group of people around you embrace you and just address those injuries in such a tangible way, so, so healing. It was incredible. I always tell my patients that burying past trauma and thinking that you can just forget that it happened to you is like burying nuclear waste in your backyard. It is toxic and it will find a way to be expressed in your life. If not through emotional stress and symptoms, then through physical pain, it is screaming out to be addressed. Nancy, what are some of the common signs of PTSD and past sexual trauma? Well, the common signs that I see are really around sleep disturbances. The moods really change from numbing to anger. There's some dissociation that happens. And one thing I want to say right now is that to do the work of uh, trauma healing, one has to not be dissociated. One has to be very present. And that's one of the things that is key. One of the things that, you know, with working with Bria worked very hard, stay present. And that's what is, it takes a lot of courage. But the hyperarousal, the sleep disturbances, the anger, the mood changes, there is a numbing and then a hyperarousal that it kind of oscillates between, which makes it very difficult a lot for people that live with people that have PTSD and also to be able to process because you never know what's going to happen. People with PTSD really struggle with knowing how to regulate moods or what to do. And just like you were saying, uh, Dr. Katinka, unless the body allows that trauma to come out some way, it stays stuck. It really, there's a stuck feeling that happens inside. And being able to get that out is absolutely essential. It's not always about talking about it, but somehow releasing it. And talking about it is is a huge part of it, but also it's just really accessing it the process, the whole experience of what happened. Everybody has their own unique journey with this. I have noticed in practice that patients often keep past trauma secret because they're afraid of, number one, how they would be perceived as a victim, but then they also want to protect other family members, Mm -hmm. um, spouses, partners from that trauma. And that is part of the reason that they keep it secret. Would you agree with that? I would definitely agree. It's it's the protection of others, but it's also the re-victimization. If I have to bring this up and go through it, I have to address it. I have to really feel it. And there's a lot of minimization and dissociation from it. So when that happens, there's no way of addressing. It really takes a lot of courage to want to get into that. There's a protection, but there's also a protection of self because it's re-victimizing to go back in. So it take, it's, people have to be ready for their work. Bria, how old were you when you first spoke out about what happened to you? That was in 2012. I was around 18, 18 years old. So up until the age of 18, you carried this big secret around and uh, you did not share with anyone. No, I had a very severe case of disassociation 
oftentimes called disassociation amnesia. This was something that did keep me safe throughout my abuse. It was also something that really kept my trauma beneath the surface for me. I have had nightmares and different very evident signs of the abuse throughout my entire life. But 2012 was really when I let myself even address it, which sounds strange, but that was my way really of surviving through everything I had experienced. When I started letting myself address it, I that's when PTSD got severely worse and really when I started my healing journey. Bria, as you know, I always tell patients that going through our program will be one of the most intense and difficult things they'll ever accomplish in their life. Looking back, what was more difficult for you, the emotional healing or the physical healing? I would say emotional healing, absolutely. There's something so unnatural about purposely taking yourself back into those moments of horror and facing them head on. I know there's a level of, for me specifically, you know, you're feeling like your younger self and you're feeling all the emotions of the abuse. And it takes a lot of courage to be able to purposely walk into that. And not only that, but my PTSD has been so invasive, just like CRPS, from the hypervigilance to flashbacks. Any moment of the day, I can just be pulled back into my abuse in very real ways. I would say my battle with that many years was much worse than CRPS was. Priya, what do you say to our listeners today who feel that it would be too painful or too traumatic to address that past trauma and that it would be easier to just keep it buried? I would say a lot of things, but I would tell them that if they don't already know it, they are incredibly strong. I would tell them that they are so worthy of healing. They are worthy to fight for that complete healing and the life that is waiting for them outside the claws of trauma. I would say I I wouldn't tell them it's going to be easy. It's tremendously difficult, tremendously painful just sorting through those shattered pieces, but the freedom and the discovery of your true self through all of it, there's no price tag, there's no, it's all worth it. And you just deserve to fight to really get back what was stolen from you. In my opinion, sorting through all of it is the very thing that will in return set you free. Nancy, how do you begin to heal trauma and pain from the past? What is the first step? The first step in any therapeutic relationship is really safety. And safety is key to having the client trust. The therapist is capable of handling the experience without any shame. They will be supported and they won't be left there. The whole experience around starting going through the trauma is history taking and just telling the story In detail or not in detail, really depending upon each client and seeing exactly what they want. The clients need to know that they have some control in the therapy room because if they don't, it feels like re-victimization. So they're really in charge. They're very much in charge of the therapy. I just guide and have the tools and specialties to hopefully guide in the best way possible to get them to a place of feeling safe and vulnerable enough to reach into that trauma and then reprocess it. 
So I would say the very first step is always about developing safety and relationship. So Nancy, I first heard about EMDR uh, because I had a close family member who was uh, hijacked in South Africa under traumatic circumstances, and she suffered from severe PTSD for many years. She couldn't have a toilet flushing in her house in the middle of the night, didn't sleep well. And EMDR is the one tool that really helped her to heal from that. How is EMDR different than normal psychotherapy? EMDR is a tool and it's a technique that allows for brain reprocessing. With trauma, the body gets stuck in the amygdala, the release of the fight, flight, or freeze process, and also sometimes collapse has been added. When the body is stuck in that process, there is no way for the emotions that were would have been highly appropriate in the trauma to get a way out. So inappropriate emotions happen, the startling, the fear, the hypervigilance, the lack of sleep, the sleep disturbances, all those things develop because of the arousal being stuck in the fight, flight, or freeze situation. With EMDR, you're able to go back in because of the eye movement and be able to basically teach the brain where those emotions need to go appropriately. Because what our brain does is it keeps us safe, but it sometimes doesn't do it in the best way. It'll always keep us safe, but sometimes we have to learn, like if we're being sexually assaulted and the person is saying, I'm going to kill you if you scream, you learn to repress, to stay alive. But if you stay stuck in that place, there is no way of processing the real emotion, which would be fear, anger. And that is what EMDR allows for dual relationship going back into the trauma, but also staying very present and relearning what appropriate emotions are and appropriate behavior is. Bria, what are some of the uh, best benefits that have come from you working through this trauma, um, exposing this trauma, and sharing this trauma? The ability to not be alone in it is something that instantly comes to mind. Finding those safe people, like Nancy was saying, whether that be a counselor or my husband or family members who are able to acknowledge a major part of your life that has been hidden for so long. That was so crucial for me. But beyond that, the ability to find freedom, just like you were saying, Dr. K, about toilet flushing can be a trigger that pulls you back in. For me, there were hundreds of different triggers throughout my day that would pull me back in. And I was debilitated by it. I had lost so much of my life. And walking through my trauma speaking up about my trauma, learning the tools, doing EMDR, so many different things has slowly given me more control and more freedom over my life. And I don't feel like the trauma has as much control over it as it used to. And I'm continuing to work to be completely free from it. Thank you, Priya. Nancy, as a mother of four children and working with so many patients that have suffered mm -hmm. from trauma, I've noticed a major side effect in my life has been extreme paranoia mm -hmm. about keeping my children mm -hmm. safe mm -hmm. um, because you just cannot always be with them. Mm -hmm. It's physically impossible. Mm -hmm. What are some of the ways that we can keep our children safe, prepare them mm -hmm. to be strong when we cannot 
physically be with them at all times? It's a great question. And much of it is really about trusting the people that are around your kids, you know, knowing who, who's around and trusting them. And also allowing the kids to have a place to talk. Keeping communication open is key. Always, always, always saying there's nothing you can say, you know, that will separate our relationship and making sure that they always feel like there is a safe place to go. So really around communication and also having them with trusted people as much as you can know. There's a time when you hear like, I trusted that person, you know, and then all of a sudden didn't even know this was happening. So it's really about communication. The other is look for signs and symptoms. Any change of behavior, anything happening, start finding out what's going on. Ask questions. Get them into therapy. Look for change in behavior. Sit your children down and force them or encourage them to communicate with you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Give them a safe space to talk. I've also heard that it is important to respect your children's physical autonomy. And what that means to me is, let's say my five-year-old decides that he doesn't want to hug his grandpa or uncle in the moment. Do not say, oh, that's not nice. Give them a hug. But to give them that autonomy to understand that they make decisions about their physical bodies. Mm -hmm. What you're teaching is boundaries. Basically, you're just saying you're in charge of this. This is your boundaries. You can always say, is there another way you want to greet your uncle? You know, would be like, you know, you want to shake or do an elbow bump, something like that, that would be better. And if you really see a resistance to a person, kind of check it out, what's going on there. But absolutely, they're in charge of their bodies. Um, and they need to know that nobody has access to that unless it's somebody that is like a parent that is trusted. And that can also be kind of tricky, too, at yes. times. But communication is key. And autonomy. Absolutely. There is no way you don't have to force people, you know, especially children, to talk or to touch another human being in a way when they truly are fearful. And especially if it's just one person. Then check it out. The truth is that people who commit this abuse don't look different from us. You know, they don't mm -hmm. have a hairy arms and long teeth. We, <laughs> we can't spot them. They, they look like everybody else and they can be very close to us and, and trusted people. You're correct. And I want to just bring up, it's not always just about touch. It's also about being watched. You know, that's a sexual abuse is to be watched, um, undressing or something like that to, to have some privacy allow children to have some privacy. Thank you so much for that great advice, Nancy. One last thing I want to ask you, the same question I sort of asked Bria. It is so painful to uncover this and work through this. What are some of the benefits that come from going through that process? Oh, so much. And it's not, I mean, the process is different for every single person and the results are different. But when someone really engages in that process and walks through it and has some healing, man, it is the best. It is the best. It's freedom. There's a feeling of control. They get their voice back. They have, their, they have a full range of emotions now instead of between numbing and anger. There's all this in between. The, the enjoyment of life is there. They also are able to say what they want, they don't want. Um, there is, is, it's so rewarding. You know, it's so rewarding to have any clients, you know, get to that place. And, you know, particularly, I'll just say to you, Bria, it was a joy to watch your journey, even though it was so painful to see your pain. But you did it. Yes. You did it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today. If you are listening and you have suffered from past trauma, I hope that this podcast today will help to empower you to stand up for yourself, to say this is the last day that I'm going to bury this, to stand up for yourself and to begin your healing journey and to be very, very brave because your health and sanity and emotional joy is absolutely worth it. Mm -hmm. Thank you, both of you. I want to end with a quote by Dawn Sarah. There is no time stamped on trauma. There isn't a formula that you can insert yourself into to get from horror to healed. Be patient, take up space, let your journey be the bomb. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are excited about every new person we are able to reach. It is our most sincere hope that our podcast will bring hope to many. If you or someone you love is suffering from chronic pain, please don't lose hope. Visit our website at www.thespiroclinic.com for more information and stories of hope. That's www.thespiroclinic.com for more information and stories of hope.